Good morning, church. Awesome to see you here today. Always good to worship with you and study God's Word alongside you. Uh, if you need a Bible, uh, we want to go ahead and equip you or arm you with one. So uh, don't hesitate to just say, hey, I, I need a Bible. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll find you directly. Uh, a couple of them around here. Guys, I realize that for most of you, maybe many of you, it's not a big deal for me. I mean, I, right down here, Jacob, uh, eyes down here. Uh, these Bibles are like ultra fine print, man. They're hard for me to even see. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's like, I'm like, ah. So, so pray for us that we be more sensitive to you so that we get better Bibles for you to follow along with us in. And, uh, and then if you need to keep it, you just go right ahead. All right. Um, but uh, other than that, guys, again, why are we here but to learn? Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, right? Uh, for I am gentle and humble or lowly of heart. And so we want to learn of the Lord today, uh, his ways, his word, and how it applies to us. And so let's take our Bibles and turn in them to the book of 1 Corinthians. We've just been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through this book. Uh, observation, interpretation, application, that's our approach to the word. Chapter 9 today in its entirety, the first, well, all 27 verses. I don't think next week, I don't think we're going to take on all of chapter 10. There's just so much in there. There, but uh, this week, we, I think we can get through chapter 9 in a message that I've entitled, For the Gospel's Sake. And so with that, let's, uh, let's take our hearts to the Lord. What do you say? Let's bow our hearts. Father God, once again, we just say thank you for uh, gathering us together, Lord, assembling us here. We recognize that we're not here by coincidence or happenstance or uh, whatever the case may be, but that you've ordained from the foundations of the earth that we would be here in this time, in this moment, that you might move and minister and speak to our hearts. And so to that end, I pray, Lord, that we would just uh, lower uh, defenses or whatever it may be, or reservations or hesitations, and help us, Lord, just to receive fully what you would have for us individually and as a body, God, that you would touch hearts, change lives. For your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, sacrificing liberty for the sake of love, that's the basic principle that Paul has put in play at this point in our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. Learning to live my life in such a way as to allow love to dictate my actions rather than only what I know, like, well, it's not wrong if I do this, or maybe it's acceptable in the sight of God if I, uh, you know, go about this, and not just letting concepts and thoughts like that dictate my course of action, but considering first how it might impact not only my own walk with the Lord, but th which was the consideration of chapter 6, but how will this influence the less informed or the less mature in their walk with the Lord? So that I'm placing, the idea is that I would be, that I should be placing the needs and concerns of others before myself. And again, for the sake of reminding, the context that we're speaking into are those areas of gray. Guys, there are certainly things that we know, the Bible you know, declares or defines certain things that defile a person spiritually. You know, things like uh, fornication or drunkenness or adultery or outbursts of wrath, uh, covetousness, you know, desiring things that other people have greedily, drug abuse, you know, so on and so forth. Things that the scripture clearly state. 
But then there are other things that Christians wander about. Things that may seem nominal to uh, some, but they're huge things to others. You know, dancing, or movies, or smoking, or the occasional alcoholic beverage. Things that the Bible doesn't specifically address. What's the guiding or the governing principle that should lead me when it comes to these kinds of things? And Paul tells us, essentially, be led by love. Love for God and and love for that brother or that sister who may not have the same understanding, may not be where you're at spiritually with regard to maturity in their walk with the Lord. We see what we're not to do is take the time in that moment to try and school that brother or that sister in order to justify what we want to do, but rather we're to act out of compassion for them, concern for them, laying aside our liberties uh, in the name of or for the sake of love. And if you weren't here a couple weeks back when we went through the previous chapter, I'd encourage you to download a copy of that study for a little more in-depth development of that thought. Now specifically in this section, Paul is uh, dealing with the, the issue of culturally, contextually for them, it was the issue of eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. You know, someone tells you that the filet mignon at Mercury's Bar and Grill is to die for, right? And so uh, there you go and you check it out. But while you're there, another brother or sister sees you buying or partaking and eating that meat offered to a pagan god. and You know, they can't help but somehow feel that you're supporting the whole practice of idolatry. But they reason in within themselves, well, you know, if he can do it or if she can do it, I mean, it must be okay. And so even though it feels wrong to me, I'm just going to go for it, you see. And, and as soon as they walk in and they, they buy that or they begin to eat that, they're completely overwhelmed with guilt and condemnation. And so even though it's not sin to eat a a Kansas City strip or a filet mignon or whatever the case may be, in encouraging that brother intentionally or inadvertently to take part in something that he felt was wrong, I've caused him to stumble. It's become sin for him because he can't eat from faith, you see. So now I've sinned against him, and in sinning against him, well, Paul tells us then I've sinned against Christ, right? Because what did Jesus say in that what you do unto the least of these, my brethren, you do to me? But had I acted in love, Rather than demanding my liberty, I'd have simply avoided that place altogether and there'd have been no harm, no foul. And this is what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the Romans regarding this very same issue. And he said, do you have faith? In other words, are you able to go out and do this or enjoy that? He says, well, that's neat. Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. And here's the hook. Here's the takeaway for whatever is not from faith is what? What is it? It's sin. And we want to be careful not to lead others into sin by insisting on our rights rather than walking in love. And so now that this information, right, this is the information that Paul's got on the table, he's going to now give us an illustration as to how he's applied this to his own life. And so with that, Let's take and turn our attention to the very first verse of the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul says, am I not an apostle? 
Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now, what's the context? Let's remember, rights based on knowledge versus laying aside my rights based on love. And so Paul, in order to illustrate how the mature believer moves and navigates within the perimeters of this principle, he draws an illustration or an example from his own life. And so he asks a series of rhetorical questions. You know, questions that have the answer implied in the way that the question is phrased. And he says, you know, essentially what he's going to draw their attention to is the fact that he, as an apostle, has certain rights. But he's laid them aside out of love for them. And even so, they should be willing, we should be willing to lay aside our rights out of love for other brothers and sisters around us. Are you with me? Okay, he says, you know, look, am I not an apostle? I mean, so the answer, of course, is, um, yeah, Paul, you know, you're, you're an apostle. He says, am I not free? Now, you know, in other words, Paul wasn't under anyone's authority, Outside of Jesus Christ alone. Now, you and me, every other person you see, would be under apostolic authority. But Paul was called. He was commissioned by Jesus Christ directly. He says, have I not seen the risen Christ? And that was one of the prerequisites of apostleship. To have seen Jesus post-resurrection. Now, another one of the prerequisites, which he doesn't mention here, he does in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, was the various sign gifts and miracles and wonders validating the authenticity of his ministry, which he worked among them in plenty. And he says, the message that I brought to you, did it not have you know, eternal ramifications in you? In other words, he's writing to these people who were the very fruit of his labor, not Peter's. Not John's, not anyone else's. It was Paul who preached the gospel to them. Now, others may have had questions because they hadn't met Paul. You know, they'd never heard uh, the preaching of Paul. But they were the direct result of his labors in the Lord. And so having established for them exactly his place as an apostle, as an authority among them, okay, now he says this, look at verse 3. He says, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, which is uh, Peter? He says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Now, to understand this more clearly, you know, exactly what it is he's talking about, just insert in your mind, okay, the phrase, at the expense of the church, at the end of his questions, because that's what he's talking about. Now, again, to keep it simple, he says, listen, let's not get it twisted here. 
we, Barnabas and I, have every right that every other apostle enjoys and is blessed by, which is to receive, I'm just going to say it, financial support from the churches in which they're serving. He says, not only do I have the right to expect you to support me in my ministry, but if I had a wife that I wanted to bring along, it would be appropriate that you covered her expenses as well, just like it happens for Peter, uh, just like it does for the Lord's half brothers, you know, James and Jude and all the rest. Now, side note here, it's interesting to me that Peter, or pardon me, Paul mentions Peter's wife when uh, the Roman Catholic Church asserts that Peter was the first pope and as such they demand, you know, mandatory celibacy, something that evidently was not true for Peter personally, you see. Now, some like to hold Paul up here, or hold up Paul as saying here that since he didn't receive money, you know, from the church that pastors today shouldn't either. But guys, I want you to realize that the context he's creating here actually reasons in exactly the opposite direction. He's saying that he is the exception, not the norm. Plus, when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you discover that he was receiving money from other churches so that he could minister freely to them. And so what we discover, you guys, is that he exercised discretion or discernment in order to do whatever would be the most beneficial for the reception of the gospel. And that's what we're going to see. That's the point that's going to be developed. He was very careful not to receive any kind of payment from the Corinthians because he didn't want to be personified as someone who was there to just kind of make money off of them. But again, that rationale you know, of ministering at his own expense is very, very valiant, but not the expected norm when service to others is involved. Guys, think it through in virtually any context. And over the course of the next seven verses, he's going to give us six scenarios in order to establish that very point. Look at verse seven. He says, whoever goes to war at his own expense... Or who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink the milk of the flock? Guys, notice he's likening the the work of ministry to warfare, to farming, to shepherding, all of which are demanding. They're all difficult. But he brings up the military. Guys, there are over 17 million veterans in the United States, about between a million and a half and two million soldiers in the United States military. Now, I'm just telling you that not one of them enlisted and then had to pay for basic training or had to pay for their meals, had to bring their own weapons. You know, you want to be in the Navy? That's great. I hope you've got a battleship. How many subs you got? You want to be in the Air Force? You need to bring your own, you know, fighter jet. No one had, you know, uh, had to pay to have a tank built for them. It was all paid for, you know, courtesy the U.S. government, a.k.a. taxpayer dollars. And guys, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. They're serving us. We should take care of them. You see, that's what he's saying here. There's no farmer who puts forth time, effort, energy, and expense in tending to the vineyard and doesn't partake of the fruit. It would be wrong if he didn't. 
You know, the shepherd stays up with his flock, tends to, takes care of his flock, leads them, feeds them, provides for, protects them. Therefore, he partakes from the resources that come forth from them, the milk. You see, it's only appropriate that he does. Now look at verse 8. He says, do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written... In the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Question, is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. This is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of this hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? And if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more, he says? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder, uh, underline it, the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offering of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Now, back in verse 8, Paul moves from what we might call societal examples into a scriptural principle. He says, look, am I just making this stuff up? You know, am I reasoning as just a, a, a mere man? Is this something that only makes sense logically? Or does it have support scripturally? And then he shows them the same principle at work in Scripture. He says, for it is written, and this is Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Guys, you know what would happen back in ancient times. The, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the grain would be broken away from the husk by placing it there on the threshing floor. And there they would tie the oxen to that, you know, that axle, that wheel, so to speak. And it would walk around and it would tread on the grain and it would break the grain away uh, from the husk and all of that. The wheat from the chaff, it would separate them. And, and look, it would be cruel to put a muzzle on the ox... There he is, he's trampling out the grain, but he can't eat, you know, while he's working for you. You're not willing to uh, allow him to be fed while he's trampling the grain for you. Now, Paul says, do you really think that it was the ox that God was primarily concerned with? Now, of course, God wanted, uh, you know, the animal treated fairly. Absolutely. But how much more then, you see how he's reasoning from lesser to greater, how much more does it apply with reference to human beings? Listen, the principle in play is fairly simple and straightforward. And, and again, this goes, he, he's bringing up all kinds of contexts for us, but the principle remains the same. If someone is working for you, they have the right to be taken care of and provided for by you. Just like Paul told the Galatians, here we go, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And guys, at, at the risk of making things, guys, you, I hope you guys understand, Bible studies like this are a little bit awkward for me. Okay, you guys understand that, don't you? 
uh, and, and at the risk of, of maybe even a little bit more awkward for me, uh, let me throw this out there. Uh, I believe that we can create biblical support for the fact that we should support the place where we're fed, we're tended to, we're taken care of, we're protected, we're provided for spiritually. Even, even from a logical rationale. You know, listen, you don't eat at a restaurant and then go down the road to a different restaurant and, you know, and pay the tab. You don't do that. Now, of course, that example falls short because we're not selling nothing here. You're not buying anything here. You're not paying for something in that regard as it pertains to, you know, uh, supporting ministry. But guys, it happens all the time that people get blessed spiritually in one place and then they make their offering in another place. And it's, it does, I'm like, a, you do the math, it doesn't add up, those dots don't connect, it doesn't really resonate scripturally, you see. But Paul says, hey, take care of the ones who are taking care of you. Why? He says here that he who plows or is working can work or plow in hope. Now, you guys know the, the word hope biblically isn't the way we use it, you know, uh, socially, where it's like maybe a, a, a wish, a positive wish with sort of a, uh, maybe a, you know, well, I hope I don't get a flat tire. It's like, that's real. I mean, it could happen, but, but I'm, I'm, my desire is that it doesn't. The word hope in your Bible is a guaranteed certainty, a, a guaranteed expectancy of coming good. And this is why we talk about the hope we have in Christ. It's not a, gosh, I, I really desire, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm praying it works out, but it might not. No, your hope in Christ is a guaranteed certainty, a concrete reality. That's what he's saying. But here's the thing, you guys. If a farmer plants, or maybe let's go in order, plows, plants, waters, weeds, year after year, and there's never any growth, never any fruit as a result of his labor, how long will he continue to work that ground? There's going to come a time, eventually he's going to starve. He's going to lose hope. He'll find another area to plow and to plant in. Guys, it's not wise to starve those who prepare your food. It takes their hope. They feel abused. They feel unappreciated, you see. And so he states it plain. If we've sown spiritual things for you, it shouldn't be a big deal that we reap material things from you. In other words, we're helping you, Paul says, eternally. In return, you're blessing us temporarily or materially. That's the idea here. However, Paul says, we haven't used this right. Why? So as not to hinder the gospel of Christ. He could not handle the idea of being taken as a religious racketeer or a charlatan scamming people for money. But even under the law, God required that the priests partake of the tithes and the offerings of the people. Guys, that's how they were taken care of. Look at verse 14. He says, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Truth be told, that's the end of it. Right there. Jesus made it clear that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. It's in Matthew 10. It's in Luke 10. And so a minister of the gospel has the right to be supported by those to whom he ministers. However, Paul has foregone that right in the spiritual best interest of the Corinthian Christians. Guys, and now is where it's, we're beginning to turn the table, okay? Okay. 
because it's within this context that he's challenging them to forego or to relinquish their rights in this context to eat meat sacrificed to an idol for the spiritual best interest of the weaker believers among them. Okay, so he's going, look, I have a right, but out of love for you, I haven't asserted that right. Even so, I get it, you have rights, but why are you insisting on asserting them in the light of how it might impact others around you? You see what's going on here? Now look here in verse 15. He says, but I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. It would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, notice, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, you know, and in his case, such was the case, when Jesus arrested him on the road to Damascus, he says, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Now again, that doesn't mean that Paul never received financial support from any church. You can read Philippians 4 and verse 15, and he's letting them know, thank you guys, you know, when no one else was supporting me, you alone were there for me, and it means more than you could ever imagine to me. But the church in Corinth, not so much. But that was what he considered to be his reward. He counted it a privilege that he could bring the gospel to them without any financial need, even though he had the right to receive such from them. And he says, now guys, don't be thinking, here he is, he's reading it, and now they're all starting to feel guilty, right? Oh, like maybe we should say, hey, no, 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 no. You're missing my point. Don't be thinking that I'm saying these things, that you know, somehow I'm hinting you know, that you should be supporting me now. He says, I'd rather die you know, than, than receive a penny kind of a thing. Now, truth be told, support or no support, Paul says, I'm preaching the gospel. He says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. In other words, he'd been called, he'd been commissioned, he'd been compelled by Jesus Christ And his burden for the lost was so deep that he couldn't not share the gospel. Really didn't matter if you appreciated him or not. He's going to share the gospel with you. And guys, this is sort of the New Testament equivalent to the burden that the prophet Jeremiah experienced when he was hated for his message. You you remember that? Man, he, and you can go back, you can look it up and, and read it later. But there he was, the prophet Jeremiah, and he was just, he was tired of it. He had been prophesying, he'd been ministering, he'd been giving out God's word and sharing it with the people. And I'm just going to tell you straight, he was tired of it. Why? Well, you remember how we just said, you know, the one who plows should plow in hope, and how long will a farmer tend to a field and it never bears any kind of fruit before he's finally like, I'm done with this field? Well, that's kind of the story of Jeremiah. He was put in prison. No one would listen to him. Instead, they were always mad at him. Some were even trying to kill him. And so he said, that's it. You know, I've had it, you know, kind of a thing. Oh, sorry, I guess Siri. I read that. Series maybe had it, you know. But no, they were all they were trying. And so he said, you know, look, that's it. I'm done speaking the word of the Lord. 
And we read it in the 20th chapter of the book bearing his name. It says, then I said, this is Jeremiah. He said, then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. Notice, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. And ladies and gentlemen, when you've been called, commissioned into the ministry, that's what it's like. You just can't keep God's word to yourself. You know, and would to God that we all experience this kind of burden on a more regular basis. You know, be it behind a pulpit, or on break at work, or in the gym, or, you know, wherever. That we give out the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope that we have in Christ. Guys, people are searching. You understand that, don't you? People are searching. People are hurting. They have questions. And listen to me, you have answers. People need to know that God loves them. If you're here today and you're not sure you don't know Jesus Christ, I want you to know God loves you. You know, Christ died for you. He paid the penalty for our sin. And that void in your heart is made whole through reconciliation with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Money won't fill it. Fame won't fill it. Partying won't fill it. Illicit relationships won't fill it. Only Jesus Christ can give you what you're ultimately looking for, which is what? A relationship with the one who created you. The forgiveness of sin. Everlasting life. This is the message. This is the burden you see that Christ died for you, was buried and on the third day rose again so that you might be justified before God through faith in him, just as if I had never sinned. Now, guys, very few people will ever be faced with the same decision that Paul faced, you know, accept or deny support for the sake of the gospel. But the principle in play, can I make this, can I bring this right up to play for you? The principle in play here is this, what right or rights are you willing to sacrifice for the greater cause of Jesus Christ? Okay? That brings it right, right to your address. What liberty will you lay aside if it will make a way for someone to meet Jesus, to see Jesus, to grow in their understanding and relationship with Jesus? What, what kind of price are you willing to pay? What kind of sacrifice will you make that you might open the way, you see, effectively, clearly, for someone else? I want you to think about that. Now look at verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. 
but to those who are under the law, or to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. Notice, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. But why? That I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. Notice, underline it, I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might, or that I may be a partaker of it with you. Guys, Verse 23 becomes our battle cry, right? Becomes our clarion call for the sake of the gospel or for the gospel's sake, right? That's, that's, that's everything. Why are we doing what we do? For the gospel's sake. Why will you make that sacrifice? For the gospel's sake. Free from all, but making myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win the more. Bringing people to Jesus is more important than my personal prerogatives. You understand that? That's what he's saying. I can either be a stumbling block or a stepping stone in the lives of others. In other words, I can either trip people up and tear people down, or I can be an element that will lift them up and build them up. But that's a choice. That's up to you. I can't do that for you. It's what God wants to do in you, right? He wants to use you to lift people up, to build people up. He says, to the Jews I became as a Jew, to those under the law as under the law, those without the law as without the law. Do you understand what he's saying here? Guys, he's talking about building bridges into people's lives that he might meet them where they're at. Does that make sense to you? Now, obviously, as he says, never compromising the law of love or the law of Christ. In other words, he's not like, willing to go out and you know smoke a joint with you so he can share Jesus that's not what he's saying okay but he says to the Jews I became uh, you know as in other words if if you want to worship on Saturday cool let's do it you know I'll take you out for some kosher lunch afterward and we'll talk about the scripture you know You want to chat over pulled pork? Right on, I'm down. Bacon and eggs, whatever, you know? You see, to the outside observer, it might look like Paul's life was all over the map, inconsistent. One day he's worshiping on the Sabbath, the next day he's out eating bacon and eggs. I mean, what in the world is going on with this? The truth is, he was laser-focused on one goal, winning people to Jesus. You see, that that was it. it. Whatever it takes... For the sake of the gospel, I have become all things to all men. Why? That I might by all means save some. Now look at verse 24. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Underline it. Run or live your life, you see, in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. How many things? Wow. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, notice, because of these things, because of what we just underscored and understood, 
I run or live my life like this, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. I'm not just shadow boxing, you see. I have a target. I have a goal specifically. And I discipline my body. Isn't that, the goal? Isn't that what he's talking about here? How they you know, have certain rights. They can feed certain things. But, but do they have to? Do they need to? Notice he says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, what's the takeaway here? Adopt an athletic attitude toward the eternal end goal. Guys, give it everything you've got. That's what he's saying. Give it everything you've got to make the biggest eternal impact that you possibly can. Press toward the goal. You remember that there in Philippians? He says, "Never." but I press toward the goal. The picture is like of a runner. And you see them, you know, and they're out there, and whether it's the baton or whether it's the, you know, 300 meter or five, whatever it is, they're always running. They've got this cool pace. But when they get to that home stretch, what do they do? Right before they hit the tape, boom, they press their chest out there, right? And they're pressing toward the mark. They're giving it all they got. That's what he's saying. He's saying, press. Press toward the mark the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, guys, let me just, you know, and Paul was a huge sports fan. It's just all over his writings, you know. You find him always drawing illustrations from the different, you know, Olympic or Isthmian games there that they had in Corinth. And he says, just consider for a minute, think it through. The, the athlete who's training for competition and they're temperate, what does that mean? It means uh, restrained or disciplined. In every way, he says. In all things. Guys, in other words, they know that if they want to win, okay, not just compete in the game. Guys, how many of you are familiar with the, the, the Boston Marathon? Yeah, I mean, we've all heard of it, right? And how many of you know that there are a large chunk of folks in that race who have no desire to win at all? I mean, they don't train for it. They don't do anything to prepare for it. They want the t-shirt that says, I ran in the Boston Marathon. And so they get out there, they pay the fee, they get in the race, they run a few blocks, and they cut out. Some of them want to just say, I led the Boston Marathon. So they take off, and they sprint for like three blocks. And then they're done. They go, yeah, I was, I was, I was leading the whole pack, you know. That's, that's, their, that's their goal. But if they want to win, oh, this brings out a whole different mindset, doesn't it? Whole different regimen. You know, now, now listen, they may want to eat that pizza, right? They have the right to eat fried pork chops. Had some last week. They were delish. But they know that if they want to win, they need to stick to things like tuna, Broccoli, grilled chicken, no seasoning, right? Yeah, they have the right to sleep till noon. Guys, they may want to sleep till noon. But if they want to be in the best shape they can, if they want to win, they got to be up before the sun putting in work, right? They're putting in the miles. They say no. Here's the, here's the thing. They say no. Do yourself a I'm going to challenge you guys every day this week that you get up, when you look in the mirror, look at that person looking back at you and say, no. 
Just practice telling yourself no. We don't like to do that, do we? Don't mind telling others no. We kind of like to do what I want to do. Just try it. Look at that guy looking back at you, that gal looking back at you, and you say, no, not today. You know, guys, they say no. Athletes say no to the wants and even the rights of their body. Why? Because there's a bigger, more important goal up ahead. Now for them, here's the, here's the kicker, you guys, and we're not, we're not too far from finish, but here's the kicker. They do all of this in Paul's day for a wreath that gets placed on their head and then just decays away. They'll subject themselves to unimaginable disciplines for a temporary reward. Karen, you want to begin? We're going to make our way to a close. But you, you're gunning for something that will last, that will impact, that will influence your existence, listen to me, eternally. Think about that. What needs to happen so that you can run this race, live a life set apart to Christ, lead others to Jesus more effectively? Do you see what I'm saying? I challenged you with that earlier to think it through. What is it, if you could narrow it down to one thing, two things, whatever the case, if you're going to be crazy, maybe three, but let's just see if we can even get to one. That's hindering your testimony. What is that thing? Now, guys, it may not be sin. Like, specifically, I'm not saying like, oh, well, I struggle with this sin. That may be true, and we, yeah, that may be something you need to, to reconcile between you and the Lord. But what if it's not sin, but it's just slowing you down? And let me be clear, guys. When he talks about this, this only one can win, he's not talking about competing against other saints. Guys, Paul outran us all. Okay? <laughs> We're all coming in a very distant second from this man probably more like several thousand behind, honestly. <laughs> At least for me. But, it's, it's, so it's not about competing against anyone individually, you know, but you personally hearing those words, well done. You know, good and faithful servant. Guys, it's going to take effort. It's going to take discipline. Listen to me. Self-control. And, 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 and Paul isn't worried about um, losing his salvation. That's not the disqualification that he's in reference to here when he says, lest having preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know, he's speaking of losing that reward, that crown, that prize for serving faithfully, sacrificially, that, that, that element that will glorify Christ eternally, you see. He doesn't want doesn't to forfeit that. So too with you and so too with me yeah I get it guys it's hard to crucify the flesh it's hard to say no even if you have the right to say yes well it's not like it's sin but guys you're not alone keep your eyes on the eternal prize we read in the book of Hebrews and then we'll finish 
He says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you know, all those who not only who are around us, but who have gone before us, let us lay aside every weight. Look, notice he makes a difference, a distinction. There are weights and there is sin, right? The weight may not be sin, but it's slowing you down. How many of you guys have ever ran a race and you decide to do it? Like, not just the training, but you're running a race and you decide to do it with like a rucksack. You don't do that, do you? Man, you go and buy like 12-ounce shoes or something. I don't know what a good lightweight shoe is. Is that a good lightweight? You're a runner, aren't you? Is it 19-ounce, 8-ounce? I don't know. But, I mean, you're looking to lay aside every, everything that is going to be of, of, a, of a hindrance, right, to the race. So he says, let us lay aside every weight, notice, and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What's the takeaway? Remember your reward. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And for the gospel's sake, run to win. Amen? All right. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for the richness of your word. And the ready reminder not to be weighed down or entangled in the affairs of this life. Help us, God, to walk in the Spirit, to crucify the flesh, and let love, not liberty, but love, guide and govern us and give us boldness and tact, building bridges into people's lives that we might win them to Christ. Give us wisdom, O oh God, and a burden. And guys, while we're here and our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just want to encourage you to remain in that posture for just a moment. Because I want to talk, listen, if you've not surrendered your life to Christ, I mean, you're, listen, you're the most important person here in this moment, in this context. And I'm going to open that door for you right here and right now. Maybe you've been searching. You've got questions. Your heart is hurting. Well, listen, what you're looking for is found. Your questions are resolved. And your heart will find its healing in Jesus Christ, who has loved you and given himself for you. So I'm just encouraging you, believe on him today and you'll leave here forever changed, forgiven, made new. How's that sound? I don't know. Maybe everybody here knows Jesus, loves Jesus. I think that's really cool if that's the case, but maybe not. Maybe there's one or three or half a dozen. I, I don't know. And you're here today and like something's happening in your heart. Something that's like, wait, this is... What's going on here? Well, the Lord 
via his spirit is knocking on the door of your heart. That's what's going on. And if you'll open it and let him in, he'll change your life forever. So if this is for you, if that invitation's for you, I, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you up here or, or, or embarrass you, or, but I do want to pray for you. And so if the Lord's speaking to you, I'm just going to ask you, raise your hand. If I see your hand, I'll say so, and you can put it back down. But I want to give you a second to say, you know what, man? Yeah, that's what I need. So don't miss your moment. Is the Lord speaking to you? Is there anybody here? I just want to encourage you. And then, Father, as we wait upon you and humble our hearts before you, I just want to pray, God, that as we've heard your word, that, that we not leave here till we've uh, kind of settled up with you. And, guys, what I mean by that is I, I, I laid a very direct, I say me, it was my mouth, but let's just say the Lord laying a very direct challenge in front of all of us today what is it that's in the way think about that lay it aside say no say no I'm not just going to give my my body my my desire. I'm not going to just give in to every desire I have, even though it may not be sin, but if it's slowing me down, if it's getting in the way of someone else seeing Jesus clearly, or me being able to minister effectively, I want it gone. Lord, we thank you for your love and your compassion and your patience with us, Lord, and how, you, how only you can minister in our hearts in such a way as to like shine the light on that thing and just say, hey, you know what? No, it's not sin, but it's probably just not the best thing between you and me right now. And God, may we just lay it at your feet May you fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might lead life set apart to you, bringing glory and honor to you. God, help us to, to be mindful of the brevity of this life. Give us that eternal perspective that we would run with endurance, that we would press toward the mark to the glory of your name. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody say, amen, amen. Why don't we rise to our feet? Guys, thanks for joining us today. Whether you're here, you're online, whatever. Uh, we appreciate everybody coming out and, again, worshiping with us and waiting around in the waters of the Word of God for the washing and the cleansing thereof. May the Lord just bless and be with you and may his spirit rest in power upon you and 
May you leave here edified and may God be glorified in your life. And may you find yourself hungering more deeply for uh, a closer relationship with Him and hungering for His Word. And if you have any need for prayer for anything, that's why we, you, know, you see these folks come down here. Uh, just because we want to avail ourselves to you and uh, we might pray for you. So I encourage you with that. If you have any needs as we dismiss, you just make your way down and we'll pray for you, whatever your need may be. So let's pray and uh, I'll cut you loose. Father, once again, we just say we love you. Uh, We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that we would just all uh, just purpose in our hearts to be obedient to the unction the conviction, the leading of your spirit, that we say no to self, yes to you. Now go before us and have your way in us. We'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday afternoon. We'll see you next time.